I want to ask you to take your Bibles, please, and turn to Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9. We're going to talk this morning about the peril of prayerlessness. The peril of prayerlessness. Another title for this sermon could be The Danger of Not Getting a Word from God. The danger of not getting a word from God. You see, sometimes we forget that what is to be blended in our lives and our decision-making is the word and prayer, and out of that we make our decisions and we make our choices and we act on the things that God tells us out of the word and he confirms to us in prayer and in the word. Israel has kind of ridden a roller coaster ride through the book of Joshua. They've had victory at Jericho. They are defeated at Ai. They come back to God at Gilgal, the place of remembrance and readjustment. They go back there and they find the battle plan for winning the battle at Ai. They go to Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim in the last part of chapter 8 and they have a great worship service and a great Bible conference and everybody's excited because they've heard the law of the Lord and the, the word of God and the blessings and the cursings and how God will honor them and bless them and they go right out of there into a bad decision. A decision that cost them. A decision that from all indications was again not prayed over. The people did not come back and pray and it led them to a crisis. The absence of prayer usually means the presence of pride. Prayer cannot be a hit and miss proposition. It cannot be that thing that we just do when we're in a crisis or we're in the moment. In fact, we don't know how to act and we don't know what to do and that's why we need to bathe our lives in prayer. The book of Jeremiah says in chapter 10, a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his own steps. Joshua chapter 9 and 10, the people have returned and they've reaffirmed what God has said to them, but I want to remind you again of the prayer principle that we learned a couple of weeks ago, and that is when you pray in victory, you do not have to plead in defeat. They came back in a moment of victory, and they did not pray, and it led to another defeat. Alan Redpath says that blessings and battles go side by side. You can be assured that if God is blessing you and if God is meeting you at the point of your need, there is a battle coming. There is something that's going to come into your life because, listen, the devil never bothers anybody that's walking in the same direction the devil is. But when you turn around and walk and stand against him and stand against the enemy, you can count on it. Even though you think you can avoid it, you can't avoid it. The other thing that you need to remember is that I believe that there is a cheering section in hell for churches that fill up calendars with activities and plans that have never been prayed over. You and I must do everything we do, every ministry that is birthed out of this church, every ministry that we get involved in, better have God's stamp of approval on it that's been won out of battling and dealing and trying to understand in prayer and confirming in the Word what God has to say to us. Otherwise, there is a peril of prayerlessness. There's a danger 
of not getting a word from God. Now, the first thing I want you to see is in verses 3 through 14, the deception. The men of Gibeon have witnessed this great, mighty army that God has raised up, and they've seen the victory at Ai, and they live about 20 miles away, and they've heard about it, and they know they're doomed. And so they begin to plot and plan how they can get out of being destroyed. What is going to keep this mighty force from just moving and rolling over them? The warning has been given. The sound has been uttered. It's going to be destruction for all those who live within the land. How are they going to avoid it? Well, they're going to do the same thing that Satan does to us. You see, Satan knows that primarily the Christian can be prepared for a frontal attack. We're ready. We know that Satan's going to come like a roaring lion. We can handle the fact that Satan knows that he can't defeat us because we are victorious in Christ. But what he does is he changes his strategy and moves from trying to defeat us to trying to deceive us. If he can't defeat us with a frontal attack, if he figures out that method won't work, then he'll slip around on the side and try to come into our camp and deceive us. Look at verse 3. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai. Now, boy, the word traveled. Now, the word didn't travel very far, and you're going to find that out later in the story, but they had heard, they had seen. Maybe they had spies out in the land, but they knew what God had done. And in verse 4, they also acted craftily. Now, I want you to circle that little word craftily in your Bible because that word means subtly or with sinister motive or with cunning. Now, it is the first adjective used in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 3 to describe Satan when he came to Eve as a serpent. He says by writing these words that these Gibeonites were just like Satan. They acted craftily, subtly. They slipped up and they set out as envoys and took worn-out sacks on their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended, and worn out and patched sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and had become crumbled. And they went to Joshua to the camp of Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country, now therefore make a covenant with us. Now, it's interesting to note five times in this chapter the word covenant is used. Five times either Joshua uses it or they use it, make a covenant with us. It is also interesting to note that they went to Gilgal, the place of prayer, and the thing they weren't doing in the place of prayer was praying. They were not doing what they were supposed to be doing, and so they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. They ended up doing something else that they weren't supposed to be doing. They went and they acted craftily. Now in verse 7, the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you are living within our land. How shall we then make a covenant with you? Now, there, there's a little kind of a principle, if you want to call it a principle, but there, there's a little thought that you need to kind of keep locked in your mind here. That is, don't be deceived by old dresses. We have some people every now and then that try to show up at the church and they'll come in and they'll be dressed real grubby and real old dresses or old clothes and everything and they'll come in and want help. So we send somebody out, watch, kind of watch out the window every now and then, watch them go out and 
when we tell them, well, this is what we do. When we give help, we don't give help out here. We send you and refer you to other places, and they go out and get in the Cadillac. Don't be deceived by old dresses. Appearances are not always what they're cracked up to be. And in an environment where you have not prayed and sought God, you'll be impressed or influenced by what you see rather than by what your heart says. Rather than seeing with spiritual eyes, you'll just see with these eyes. You'll just act with your five senses instead of with faith. Now here's Joshua facing this situation, and they said, make a covenant with us. Now, all of us have been in a situation where somebody's come up to us and said, hey, make a covenant with us. Make a deal with us. Do this for us. You say, well, I don't know. I, you know, I, I need to pray until I get a peace about this. Listen, they're going to say, well, don't, don't worry about praying until you get a peace about it. We don't have time. If, if you don't strike now, the deal's off. Then let the deal be off. If you do not have time to wait for the peace of God in what you do, then you don't need to do it. If you don't have time to wait on God, and time is in God's hands, He's the one that created it, if you're being rushed into making a decision or rushed into doing something or rushed into signing something, then you need to be careful because God's not in it. You need to be sensitive that He will send red flags and warning lights and caution lights to tell you to stop, don't do this. Now, I'm not talking about discernment. I'm talking about dragging feet. You know, there's a difference. When you drag your feet, you just don't ever want to make a decision. Discernment is you pray and you seek the Lord, and you can get that in a moment. If you're walking in the Spirit and filled with the Spirit and living in the Word and in an attitude of prayer, and you've done what Paul says in praying without ceasing, if you've done that, yeah, you might can make a decision in a prayed-up environment. That's discernment. That's not dragging your feet. Sometimes people say, well, I'm just waiting to see what God wants me to do. Well, how long have you been waiting? Uh, Forty years. I'm thinking about joining this church. How long have you been visiting? About five, six years now. I think we've about made our decision that we're going to go ahead and put our membership here and just go ahead and join now. We're thinking about it, but we, we just want to get off for about five more weeks at the lake and pray about it before we do that. Joshua should have investigated the matter, but he didn't. And in verses 9 through 14, they begin to mention God's deliverance from Egypt, and they begin to talk about what God had done for them on the journey, and then they move into the kill. They say, oh, just let us be your servants. Oh, we don't want much. We're not asking for houses and lands. Just just let us be your servants. You see, if Satan can't get you in a frontal attack, he'll get you with flattery. He'll tell you how great you are. He'll tell you how wonderful you are. He'll tell you, you don't need anybody else's help. You don't need anybody. In fact, you don't need to consult anybody. You've got it all figured out yourself. You just go ahead and make that decision. He'll get you with flattery. Oh, I tell you, y'all are so wonderful. Y'all are so great. You're so, just let me be your servant. Just, just let us serve you. You see, they were suckering them in by flattery. By the way, it's not in the text. This is free. If Satan can't get you by flattery, he'll also get you by flattening. He'll just try to wipe you out. He'll always come after you. And you always have to be prepared and you always have to investigate the matter. And you have to do it by getting in the Word and by getting before God in prayer because, you see, He's got a two-fold method. 1 Peter 5 tells us that He is like a roaring lion. He has open warfare. 
But in 2 Corinthians 11, it tells us he works in camouflage. Now turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You see, he can be a roaring lion or a hissing snake, depending on what he thinks he needs to defeat you. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 13. Paul warns us that this, this is going to happen, for he says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. There are people on religious television today that are claiming to be apostles of Christ. Don't be surprised by that. Paul told us 2,000 years ago that was going to happen. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end shall be according to their deeds. These people came in and they said, they sounded, oh, sincere, so sincere. They said, oh, we just, we just want to be your servants. They were outmaneuvered by the enemy because they didn't pray it over they didn't seek the Lord. Matthew says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, you be shrewd as serpent, as innocent as doves. Now, here's, here's how this applies to us. Today, Satan wants to work on us to just kind of lower our standards a little bit. See, he'll say to us, Well, I know what Paul said. I know what Joshua said. We know what the Bible says. But after all, this is 1994, and this is the real world. If I hear one more person say to me, But you've got to deal with the real world. Listen, this book tells me that everything that's not of God is not real and will pass away. It tells me that everything of God is going to live eternally. That's what's reality. I need to deal in the real world. But the world will say, oh, you just need back off. Don't worry about it. Just, just kind of, you know, you don't want to be a fanatic. You don't want to go too far. You don't want to be so narrow. You don't want people to think, oh, those Christians, boy, I tell you, they've got such hard and fast lines drawn about what's right and what's wrong. You know, you need to give a little. You need to let some people in. You need to just kind of rub shoulders with anybody. As long as they're nice and they brush your teeth and they have good manners, just live with it. Just put up with it. Just kind of go along. Don't take devotion seriously. Don't get serious about commitment. Just take it easy and relax and live in let live and just kind of go along with the flow. That sounds real good and it's not, it has nothing to do with the Word of God. Nothing to do with the Word of God. Every now and then when I'm at a conference with preachers we'll, we'll inevitably start talking about church business, you know, and, and uh, I've had some guys say to me, well, you know, it's, it's just hard to find deacons these days. So, I, you know, what we've had to do is we've just had to say, well, well, this qualification, we know what Paul said here, but that doesn't really apply now. Uh, you know, you just, you know, there's so much problem in our culture and we've got so many things going on in our society, you just can't expect to find men that live up to the standards. So let's just kind of get it down because we've really got some good men that can't be that, but if we lower it, we can make them deacons. That's like an argument a guy used with me one time. He said, I'm going to tell you, he said, if we'd make this guy deacon, he'd start tithing. <laughs> I said, would he start coming to church too? <laughs> Boy, we get two for the price of nothing. You know, that's great. 
You see, folks, you never get God's blessings by lowering the standards where everybody's comfortable. If you can't find what God wants, then maybe God doesn't want you to have that. You and I cannot find the blessings and the power of God on our ministry if we lower it down to what's acceptable to us but is unacceptable to Him. And there's always something out there Christ says, oh, listen, just let us in. We'll be your servants. We'll just, we'll just let us go along. You see, they were deceived by circumstantial evidence. They didn't pray. Now look at verse 14. Here's the verse. So the men of Israel took some of their provisions and did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. Look in your sermon notes at that quote by Tom Ellick. The person who fails to seek God's revealed will will through his, through his word limits his counsel to other men and his opinion of their opinions. If you and I fail to seek the counsel of the word of God, we limit our decision making to our opinions about what other people's opinions are rather than, thus saith the Lord. F.B. Meyer said, It is in this way that we are tempted still, more by the wiles of Satan than by his open assaults, more by the deceitfulness of sin than by its declared war. Before entering into any alliance, be sure to ask counsel at the mouth of the Lord. He will assuredly answer by an irresistible impulse, by the voice of a friend, by a circumstance strange and unexpected, by a passage of Scripture. He will choose his own messenger, but he will send a message. Not only was there a deceit, but there was a discovery. In verses 16 through 22, they come back from this Bible conference and they forget to go to prayer meeting. And they discover after three days that they have made a mistake. They have sinned against knowledge. They have submitted themselves to flattery instead of walking by faith, and they've been talked into an unholy alliance. By the way, have any of you ever been talked into something that later on you wished you'd never done? That hurts, doesn't it? That one gets a little close to home. Now we've moved from preaching to meddling. You know, I know it. I've done it. I mean, somebody comes up and says, hey, get rich quick scheme. If you do this, you'll make an extra $5,000 a month. And all you got to do is talk 10 minutes a day on the phone. That's great, boy. And I mean, they'll, they'll give you a printout and tell you everybody in America that does that. I want you to know that if everybody in America became a millionaire in a program, I would be the first person to file bankruptcy because of it. I mean, you know, you just name it. You just say, oh, this is it. You need to sign up for it. Boy, this is great. Look, look at this videotape. Buy this product. Do this thing. Do all that. Oh, that's great, man. This will set us free. And you get into it and you think, why in the world am I doing this? Why am I? I don't even like this stuff. Why am I doing this? Why am I selling this? Why am I involved in this? Why did I make that investment? Why did I get involved in that relationship? Because somebody talked you into it. And listen. If somebody can talk you into it, somebody else can talk you out of it. But if God's told you to do it, nobody will change your mind. There's the difference. The discovery is, I've been talked into an unholy alliance. I've been talked into a relationship that I'm not supposed to be involved in. They did not seek and ask for the counsel of the Lord. They took all the external evidence. What happens is we lose our ability to discern. 
and it destroys our lives, and it's normally with one little thing that at the moment seems very insignificant. At the moment, it didn't seem like much. It didn't seem like a big deal. It was just one little compromise. We just gave the devil one little inch. It was just one hour of our time. It was just yielding in one small area. But the failure to consult the counsel of God leads to a commitment to the world. Let me ask you, are your commitments more to the world or to the Word? Now, what happens to us is this. We begin to be deceived... And we discover that deception because what happens is we begin to be deceived when we evaluate Scripture in light of our circumstances rather than evaluating our circumstances in light of Scripture. There's a big difference. One is subjective, one is objective. When you evaluate Scripture in the light of your circumstances, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. When you evaluate Scripture and then look at your circumstances, then you begin to evaluate based on God. Never begin with anything that starts with a premise or a principle. Begin with the Word of God and bring your premise and your principle out of that. Don't start with some principle that you came up with in your head and then you get five words out of a verse somewhere and you tack that on and say, see, there's what that means. That verse is probably taken out of context. You're in danger of lining yourself up with some enemy and something that's going to undermine you if you begin to evaluate the Scripture in light of your circumstances and try to get God to put His stamp of approval on what you've done. Lord, here's what I've done. Now would you please bless it. 1 John 4 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Now, what Joshua needed to do is he needed to ask some more questions. He needed to ask for credentials. He didn't need to go on the circumstantial evidence and on the physical appearance. But now they're bound by their word. Now they are sworn to a covenant relationship. Look at verse 19. Joshua 9 and verse 19. But all the leaders said to the whole congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we cannot touch them. This we will do to them, even let them live, lest wrath be upon us for the oath which we swore to them. Now let me just stop at verse 20 and tell you that verse 20 is one of the most significant verses to me about integrity. Joshua made a bad decision, but he lived with his bad decision. He didn't try to bail out on his commitments and his obligations. Now notice it again. He says, We have sworn to them by the Lord, this we will do to them, even let them live, lest wrath be upon us for the oath which we swore to them. Listen, folks, if you sign a piece of paper saying you're going to do something, then you better do it. If you agree to pay something, then you ought to pay it. If you owe something, it should be paid up. If you agree that you're going to make a commitment, then you should do it because there is a matter of integrity that has to take place if the Christian witness is going to be viable. When we tell somebody we're going to do it, then we ought to do it no matter what it costs us and live with the fact that we made the bad decision and not blame God for it. They made a commitment, they lived with it, and the leader said to them, let them live. So they became hewers of wood and drawers of water for the whole congregation, just as the leaders had spoken to them. 
Now, they, what they did is they said, let us be servants, and they said, okay, that's what we're going to let you be. You're going to be woodcutters and water boys. Now, if you go to chapter 10, you will find that the five kings got real mad at Gibeon. They were counting on Gibeon for some support. They were the United Nations of that time, and they were hoping that Gibeon was going to come through and help them out in this little battle that they had facing the army of the Lord. And so in verse 6 of chapter 10, Then the men of Gibeon sent word to Joshua to the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites that live in the hill country have assembled against us. These kings were counting on Gibeon to fight for them. They were counting on them to stand with them, and they made peace with Israel. And now the five kings said, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll take Gibeon, and we'll attack Gibeon. We'll just forget about the army of Israel for right now. We'll just go out and let Gibeon know you don't cut our throat. You don't stab us in the back. We're going after you. And then they called to Joshua and said, oh, Joshua, please help us. Do not abandon your servants. This is never on God's agenda. God didn't plan this. He didn't design it. Joshua and the leaders got them into this. Oh, we're your servants. Please come up and help us. Come up and defend us. Our, our, the Amorites are going to attack us. They're coming after us. Now, you see, they were defending the enemy against the enemy. They were going to have to protect the enemy against the enemy. The very thing they were supposed to destroy, they now had to take their resources and come and protect it. Now, what happens? And why is it so important when Joshua should have been on the battle plan and on with the conquest of Canaan, he had to pull aside and deal with this situation? Why was this commitment so costly? Why is it a big deal that he let this one little group, this one little tribe, this small city of people that only could be woodcutters and water boys, why is it important that God even included this in the Word. Well, there are about three reasons. First of all, it became a point of Satan's attack. It became a point of Satan's attack. You see, commitments made outside of God will never reap you the benefits that you think they're going to reap. It was a point of Satan's attack. It was their Achilles' heel. He was where Satan found the open door. He found the crack in the window. He was able to come in like a thief and, and steal and plunder and destroy. He found the empty house. He found the empty room. He came into it. It was an area not covered, and so he went after it. And he worked on them, and it was the point of attack. Let me tell you something. Whatever it is that you've lined up with, that you didn't pray over and get a word from God, I guarantee you it's a point of attack for you. And just about the time you think you're getting on with God and you think you're making it and you think you're trucking along with the Lord, that thing keeps coming up. And Satan keeps using it. And it probably happened 10, 15, 20 years. It could have happened yesterday. But it just keeps coming back to haunt you. It's that burr under your saddle that keeps you from ever riding hard for God. It's that one thing that keeps pressing on you. It just seems like you never get any victory over it. Why? Because it's the point where Satan's found you're weak. It's the point where you let your defenses down. It's the point where you thought you could handle it. It's the point of his attack. Secondly, it will always be begging for attention. Whatever you yield to the devil will always be begging for attention. Layman Strauss said, when he cannot overthrow us by might, he resorts to mixture. 
Ah, I tell you. Always begging for attention. Have you, have you ever made any agreements that although you thought it's just quick and insignificant, it just keeps begging for your attention? It may come the first of the month or the 15th of the month. That may be what's begging for your attention. It may be that there's a relationship that you got involved in and now you just keeps begging for your attention, keeps pulling at you and pulling you down. It's a battle that you're in that you never should have been in because when you don't pray and when you don't get a word from God, you make unwise decisions and they are costly decisions. Number three, it will deplete your resources. It will deplete your resources. Joshua and Israel defeated the Amorites, and we'll see that tonight, but it depleted them of time and energy and supplies. Whatever you do without God will deplete your resources. It will drain you. You know what happens? You go broke trying to get rich quick. You know what happens? You're miserable trying to find satisfaction in a quick relationship. You know what happens? Your business suffers because you didn't pray over the investments that you made and the decisions that you made related to your business and all of a sudden everything begins to cave in and collapse around you and you look up at God and say, God, why are you doing this? And God says, because you never sought me on it in the first place. In the earlier hour, I preached this message. One of our men came up to me at the end of the hour, and he gave me permission to share this, and that's the only reason I do so. And he said to me, he said, I almost came up this morning and pushed you out of the way on the platform and said, let me tell you how that sermon is true in my life. He said, but you missed two points that I'd like to give you this morning. And so with his permission, I will give you the two additional points given to me by one of our men who's walked through Joshua chapter 9. Point number four, it will strain your relationship with your wife if you don't discuss it with her. If you don't seek wisdom from the one who God has called alongside you, if you're married or if you're single, if you don't seek godly wisdom, it will strain your relationships. If you make investments... And if you make decisions and you say, hey, I'm the man of the house, I can do whatever I want to do. I'm spiritual leader of this family. I don't have to ask anybody's permission. God made me the head of the house. And he also made you the stupid head of the house if you don't ask your wife. <laughs> Number five, it will cost those under you and deplete them as well. It will cost your wife. It will cost your children. It will cost your employees. It will cost your grandchildren. It will cost your work associates. And they will not be able to experience the blessings of God because you didn't get a word from God. You see, if you're in charge, then you better know God led you to do it before you try to take other people with you. There's a serious principle there that means that if you're the head of a business and you make a decision that's unwise and unprayed over and you can't get the blessings of God on it and you have to let go of employees because you did that, then you are causing them to suffer by your not getting a word from God.
That means that if you're the pastor of a church and you tell a church a church needs to do something and you lead them over a cliff God didn't tell you to go over, then the pastor and the staff and the deacons and the laity and everybody down to the bed baby suffers because you didn't get a word from God. I want to tell you something, folks. It's a serious thing for somebody to stand up and say, God wants us to do something. And nobody ever should say that lightly. Nobody should ever say lightly, I've got a piece about this. I believe this is what God wants us to do. I believe this is what God wants us to do. And then you haven't got a word from God on it. Because I tell you, it will deplete you physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, financially, psychologically, in every realm of your life. You will be drained. That's why you need to get alone and get with God. A couple of times we've done uh, 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 in the middle of trying to do some things because we've made some bad decisions in our life. We've done some things and we've done a home equity loan before. And I went to my banker and I said, I said, well, what about this? He said, well, you get to take off your income tax. Now, anything I get to take off my income tax, that's legal. You know, I'm open to the Lord leading me to do that. So, <laughs> you know, we signed this little piece of paper and, and uh, I go down there and I sign it and, and my banker said, now, you, you, uh, you need to bring your wife in to sign it too. So I've got, got to bring Terry in to sign it? Yeah. yeah, you need to bring her in to sign it too. Uh, well, it's notes in my name, I know, but she's got to sign it too because this is your house. You need to bring her in and sign it. Okay. So I'm just kind of sitting there waiting, you know, okay, where's the check? You know, I'm ready. I'm ready for the check. He says, well, now, you go home and you think about it, and you come back in three days and you'll sign it again, and when you sign it again, then we'll give you the loan. I've got to wait three days? Well, it's been approved, hasn't it? Oh, it's been approved. I've got to wait three days? Yeah, you need to wait three days, and then in three days we'll give you the money. Well, why is that? Well, because you need to think about what you're doing. Because this attaches something to your house, and you need to think about what that does. You know, there's a good spiritual truth there. Before you sign a piece of paper, before you make a commitment, before you say, I do, before you ever say, oh, yeah, let's go do this. Yeah, let's join up here. Let's sign this. Let's join this club. Let's join that. Let's join this organization. Let's start this. Let's make an investment in this company. Let's go out here and do this. Before you ever do it, you ought to back off for three days and say, now, Lord, I'm going to wait three days. Three days wasn't too long for you to be in the tomb. It's not too long for me to wait to make this decision. I'm going to wait three days, and I'm going to pray it through, and I'm going to think it through. And if there's some reason why I shouldn't do this, I want you to make it painfully obvious to me in three days why I shouldn't. That's smart, folks. That's spiritually smart. Now, what's God's design? God's design is found in Joshua chapter 1. Joshua 1 and verses 7 and 8. Only be strong and very courageous. And be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. And do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Oh, that's it. Cat's gone to the prosperity gospel. <laughs> no. I'm not saying if you get a word from God and you pray over it that you're going to be a millionaire overnight, you're going to win the publisher's clearinghouse or anything else. What I'm saying is your life will be blessed and your life will be prosperous. 
and you will have success as God views success if you do it God's way. It's that simple. The psalmist said, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. Thy word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against God. Now let me ask you, have you made any commitments that you wish you could get out of? Have you done something that quite honestly you never prayed over? Have you signed on to something that right now deep in your heart you know God never wanted you to sign for that? God never wanted you to do that and you did it and now it's depleting your resources, it's nagging for your attention and it's a point of Satan's attack. Any Gibeonites in your life that you thought were going to be your servants and thought were going to be the highway to blessings in your life and the answer to all your problems and now you find out they keep calling for your help? Is there anybody you're involved with right now that you can't pray with them? Now, I know this is tough in the business world. I know it's very tough. But I'm going to tell you, folks, being unequally yoked just doesn't apply to marriage. It also applies to business. And if you try to operate a Christian business tied to the resources of the devil, you will never, ever succeed in that business. And if you do, the moth and the rust will corrupt it and eat it away. You can't tie your train to the track that the devil ran and get blessings from God on your life. You just can't do it. That doesn't mean you stay away from lost people. It means that you better not sign into an agreement with somebody that does not bear a witness with your spirit that says this is right and we're in this together. If you can't pray with that person, if you can't get along with that person and talk about the Word of God, then you may be in a relationship that's going to lead to your destruction, not to your retirement. You need to be careful because any investments made that are prayed over, any commitments that are made to the world and not primarily to the Word are going to defeat you. But there's some good news. And that is that the greatest miracle probably in all the Old Testament happens on the heels of all of this. So here's good news, and you'll hear it tonight. God can turn the biggest mess you make in your life into a miracle in your life if you'll let him. That is what Romans 8.28 says, isn't it? God can work all things together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. That, that is what it says, isn't it? It's funny. That God can take the biggest bomb in your life turn it into a blessing. He can take the greatest sorrow you've ever had in your heart and turn it into joy. That's because He's a God of good news. That's because He doesn't leave you with your mistakes but he says, if you'll turn your mistakes and your mess over to me, I'll clean it up and I'll do the greatest miracle you've ever seen in your life as a result of it. That's good news. That's a good God. And he's a God that lets us know that when you haven't prayed, when you haven't been in the Word, if you'll pray and if you'll get in the Word, I'll take what you tried to do and failed and I'll turn it into what I can do and we'll win. 